Hi there, listeners. Uh, for Between the Gutters, this is Albert Lamb. And this is Drew Tan. Just to let you know, uh, our podcast went a little long, so we will be splitting it up into two parts. And this is part two of numbers eight and seven of uh, the top 25 Marvel comics of all time. So this one will be covering number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. I, I, how many times are we going to say that? Seven times? <laughs> Until it just loses all its meaning. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. His, His name, name is Robert, Robert Paulson. Paulson. <laughs> <laughs> how did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> uh, all right. Coming in at number nine now? Seven. Oh, it's seven, a countdown, sorry. remember? Countdown. <laughs> You Count down. Count Al- down. Albert went to college university. <laughs> the Ohio State. <laughs> so coming in at number seven, we have the seminal run on Thor by Walt Simonson. Mm-hmm. Walter Simonson. Walter Simonson. I don't know why I keep calling him Walt Simonson. Uh, it's fun to say. Yeah, people. Yeah. I think people call him Walt Simonson, but yeah. his name is also Walter Simonson. That's true. That's true. But anyway, Thor by Walter Simonson. Uh, So this is a run from the 1980s. His run began with issue 337, uh, which has a publication date of November 1983. And he worked on the book all the way through issue 382, Mm. which had a publication date of August 1987. So when he started this book... When he started his run on Thor, Walt Simonson was the writer and the artist. Yeah. Towards the middle of his run, he uh, stepped back a little bit and he became primarily a writer. And Sal Buscema, who was also a really good artist, uh, became the penciler starting in issue 368. But for no disrespect intended to Sal Buscema or any of the other people who worked on this run... We're just just for simplicity's sake. We're just gonna call it Walt Simonson's yeah. run on Thor. <laughs> um, I, I think that's what it's generally recognized as. Yeah, and that again, that was issues three hundred thirty-seven to three hundred eighty-two. It's available in a series of trade paperbacks. You can even find it in a big uh, hardcover omnibus collection. Yep, it's sitting on our table right here, right now. It's more or less the size of a dictionary. Probably. Bigger than a dictionary. Yeah, for you kids that don't know, a uh, dictionary is like Wikipedia, but on paper. Yeah, and, well... <laughs> 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 well, well what, wouldn't you say the Encyclopedia Britannica is more like Wikipedia, but on paper? A dictionary yeah. is like... <laughs> it's like dictionary.com, but on paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the omnibus hardcover of Thor is something that you could use to kill a man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so starting off, uh, the 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 first thing that we should talk about is the craft of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like like our previous mention, uh, this book, the the thing that again, if you were just to walk into a store, a comic book store, and just randomly pick it up, pick it up off the shelf, the first thing that you would notice would just be the art. Yeah. Like Walter Simonson's art is amazing in this book. It's just... It's just fun superhero art. Lots of just... It's very dynamic. He has a good sense of capturing, you know, action as well as the the kind of way that Jack Kirby drew energy and crackles. Mm-hmm. Walter Simonson in his own way does that. Um, yeah. There are a lot of speed lines, but it's so fun to look at. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a really spectacular looking comic. Yeah. He's a really talented artist and this was, it still holds up. It's probably uh, something I think most people would consider it one of his greatest works. Uh, it's definitely, his art uh, is definitely Kirby inspired. Yeah. Mm. Uh, just really, really clear storytelling. Um, another thing that I really like about the whole run is the lettering. Uh, mm. John Workman was the letterer for the run, and this is kind of the book that John Workman built his name upon. Because yeah. um, if you look at the comic itself, uh, and you look at how he's able to uh, design these different sound effects, um, 
it's just amazing. Like it, yeah. it's it's a book where, like most of the time, you don't really think about lettering in comics, but yeah. when you look at John Workman's lettering in Walt Simonson's Thor, it really stands out. Yeah, uh, stands out more than a lot of other comics because the lettering a lot of times turns out to to Enhance. be yeah, it turns out to be a, as much of a part of the artwork as the actual artwork. Yeah. There even even things like how he uh, designed uh, the titles for the different uh, issues, right? Like mm. each issue has its has a title, and the way that he designed some of those, it's very like ornate and stylized, and yeah. fits the tone of the story. It's just really you got to give John Workman his props for his amazing work on the lettering. Yeah, I'm looking at this sequence of page, uh, sequence of panels right here, and it's it's a battle scene between Thor and Mal- Malekith, and like he's the way the the areas where they put uh, the sound effects just enhances the the action that's going on in the actual comic itself, you know, and they're they're pretty creative too, you know, yeah. like, things like. Badoom, boom, shrek, <laughs> you know, and it just adds to the fun of like reading a comic, you know. Totally, and I, yeah, one of the things that uh, I think people would point to when it comes to his lettering is uh, the the early issues in the run. Uh, early on in the run, uh, well, I hope this doesn't sound like too disjointed in terms of summarizing the plot, but early on in the run. Uh, there's a a build up to uh, the coming of Surtur, mm. who's one of the the uh, Asgardians' greatest enemies. He's this gigantic fire demon. If you if you watched Thor Ragnarok, you saw him in in that movie. Yeah. But in the comic here, uh, you see in, there's like this ongoing subplot of Surtur building and forging his his sword. Yeah. So there's a few issues where these early issues. There's like one or two panels of him in each issue where he's just forging his sword, and every time the hammer strikes the metal, you just see the sound effect that says "doom." Yeah. And then when he his storyline is, I think, isn't the name of the story where he appears or one of the stories called "doom," and it's done in that same sort of font. Yeah. yeah like yeah, just yeah. little details like that are yeah. are really cool. No, that's true. Like, um, yeah, and just to kind of discuss the writing a little bit. Yeah, it's a pretty epic story, and the way that they set up the the climax of it with Surtur is pretty cool because again like you said so Thor Thor over the course of his story is he he battles whatever his um, you know sort of villain of the week is mm-hmm. but at the end of each uh, issue there's like a two maybe one or two page epil or epilogue I guess yeah. where where you get a glimpse of this impending doom that is Surtur, yep. and it just escalates how the drama of his arrival with with each issue. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a yeah, it's a pretty fun story. Yeah, speaking of the story, maybe uh, before we delve even deep, even more deep or deeper into the craft of it, maybe uh, we should kind of briefly give an overview of the overall story of this run. Yeah, well, the thing is. We've mentioned already that it's a thick comic, and Walter Simonson was on it for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So uh, he really does kind of cover a lot over over the course of his story. But the the story starts off with Thor, kind of again just dealing with um, there's still threats, but there are threats on Earth, or as he calls it, Midgard. Mm-hmm. But as time uh, goes on the story just escalates to to a point where they have to fight Surtur the he's more or less the harbinger of the end times for Asgardians Ragnarok Ragnarok yeah exactly um following the the epic battle we see Thor's story move on to this place where they have to deal with the aftermath of it and uh, kind of rebuilding their kingdom mm-hmm. in, in the after in the wake of it, and again over the course of this entire story, they uh, Walter Simonson does kind of find different genres to to apply to Thor. You know, mm-hmm. so there there's elements of crime stories in here yeah. where you know um, 
there's there's a mobster who kind of has a beef with Donald Blake, and, uh, <laughs> and then on top of that, you have like science fiction stories where people are coming from the future and they're dealing with you know the ramifications of events of the past, um, to just stories, to just fantasy stories. Yeah. I mean that which is kind of expected of what Thor is, but um, yeah, it's it's a lot of night clashes and trolls and giants. And there's even a funny story where, you know, to lighten the mood a little, they do a story where Thor gets cursed and he gets turned into a frog. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, this book has everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, ha- I always hesitate to throw out the term epic haphazardly just because I think nowadays everybody uses the word epic to describe something that's cool, but this is actually an epic yeah. as if you were to, open up uh you know a dictionary which is a book where <laughs> it's like a paper version of dictionary.com or yeah. merriamwebster.com and if you looked up the word epic that definition completely describes Walt Simonson's Thor yeah it's it's a pretty singular vision i'd say i mean i reading this i don't remember too many instances where i felt like so like the way that modern comics are now everything has to tie into something else mm-hmm. or into the larger universe as yeah. a whole. Um, uh, and so reading this comic, Thor, uh, Walter Simonson's Thor, I don't, I don't know if it existed necessarily before that trend, but it, it certainly feels like it, it doesn't have as much of that going on as we see in modern comics. Yeah. I yeah. think there are a couple moments where there's, Aren't, isn't there a, a reference to Secret Wars or Secret Wars 2 or something in one of them? There might have been. But it was like, it wasn't anything that made you get jarred out of the story, yeah, the ongoing story. I don't think it was anything where it felt like they had to take like an entire issue to deal with it or something yeah. like that. It might have just been and something said in passing. There might have even been, wasn't there a tie-in to... Well, oh no, you're right, there X, was one tie-in. Acts of Vengeance. Was it, no, it wasn't Acts of Vengeance. I think it was some sort of mutant thing. Like a, oh, yeah, was either right. Fall of the Mutants or Mutant Massacre? It was one of those. Some two. sort of mutant-related thing. You're right, but that was more of a tie-in because I think Louise Simonson was working on X Factor stuff at the yeah. time. So it was kind of a neat little. Um, it was a neat little. Uh, what's it called? Uh, like a team up with his wife. Yeah, a team up <laughs> with his wife, basically. That's cool. Yeah. 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 But overall, the entire run. It, it may be sprawling. I think it's fair to say it's a sprawling run because, like mm. you said, it encompasses a variety of different genres mm. and there's a lot of ongoing subplots. It never feels overwhelming. It never feels confusing. Yeah. There's always a clear uh, goal that the characters are working towards. Yeah. You never feel like things are just meandering or things are just dragging out. Yeah. There's always s- distinct storylines that get resolved and then mm. another storyline begins. And while that storyline's happening, there's some subplots simmering on mm. a few pages here and there for a few issues, and then yeah. those come to fruition and get raised to the A plot. Yeah. And definitely, um, I mean, I think me and you talk about this quite a bit, but there are some writers who tend to fill the pages with text. Yeah. Walter Simonson might do that also, but it's nowhere near... It, it's far better than... Christopher Sebastopol Claremont <laughs> who who's just you know writing exposition for a guy describing what he's doing as he's doing it yeah. <laughs> you know like it's it's far easier to read far more enjoyable to read mm-hmm. than those experiences exactly yeah it, it, there's a lot of if you look at a lot of 80s comics a lot of those comics can be overly wordy they yeah. can be kind of pretentious they can be too in love with their own writer's purple prose. Mm. And that ends up becoming a hindrance to your enjoyment of the experience of the story. Yeah. Whereas with Walt Simonson's writing, uh, beca- I think because he's the writer and the artist, it, it kind of helps because he can trust himself to tell the story through his pictures. Yeah, yeah. And even though there may be pages that you look at today uh, and in comparison with a lot of modern comics, maybe they're there are more words on a page but it never feels like the words are wasted 
It never feels like there's just overriding for the sake of being in love with his own voice. Mm. A lot of times, uh, his his writing captures the sort of uh, mythological or fantastical tone of the series. I think if there's anybody, any superhero in comics who can give a speech before he pounds somebody into submission, it's probably Thor. Yeah, it's kind of it would be kind of expected. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it it wouldn't make sense if you had the Punisher going on a monologue before he guns yeah. down a drug dealer. If he goes on a Shakespearean soliloquy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Do you have anything more to say on the craft, or? Uh, I do want to harp a little bit more on the artwork, just because it's magnificent. Yeah. Even the stories when Sal Buscema comes on and as the penciler, you could tell that he's a master of the craft as well. Yeah. He's just, it's. I don't remember if he was always working from Walt Simonson's layouts, but it's not a jarring change, you know. Yeah. Like you can see that. These are artists that have sensibilities in common. Yeah. And you can tell that Walter Simonson trusted Sal Basima as much as he trusted himself to tell the story. Yeah. You're right. Like, when I am when I was reading this, it didn't feel like... When they changed artists, it didn't feel like there was this dramatic shift in style. Yeah. Like, they, they more or less were... Sal Basima was more or less a spiritual successor to what uh, Walter Simonson was attempting to do in mm-hmm. this. You know, like it, he he drew in a style that captured the the spirit of just the the action and the dynamism of yeah. of uh, what Walter Simonson was trying to accomplish. Exactly. You know, the artwork uh, throughout is just uh, really action action-packed it's stylized uh again reminiscent of a jack kirby kind of thing yeah he definitely uh simonson definitely is inspired by kirby but he's not an imitator yeah i would say yeah he's that's a good way to put it he's able to craft his own he has mark, his own voice his own, yeah he's yeah. got his own voice his own stylistic flourishes yeah the like each of the the panels you know all of his pages look really fun just in terms of the dynamism and the yeah and the orientation of them but i would also want to say that his storytelling is really good too because you can always whenever he draws fight scenes even though it's a lot of uh powerful uh clashes between guys that can punch through buildings and shoot lightning out of their hammers and things like that yeah you can always follow what's going on his choreography is it's clear um, mm. the designs that he came up with for a lot of the uh, more f- cosmic aspects of the story are really good. The uh, I mean, not, clearly a lot of the characters already had their own designs established, so he didn't really muck about with them too much. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Thor and and the armor, his his armor. Uh, yeah. You know, that's a really cool addition to th- to Thor uh, and. The other Asgardians, whether it's um, the Warriors 3 with Hogan, Vandrill, and and uh, Volstagg, or, or Balder, right. or Sif, Odin, Loki, you know, all of them, when you think of the iconic versions of those characters, I pretty much always think of yeah. the Walt Simonson versions of them. Yeah, like, it does feel like Thor had a very specific look for a very long time, mm-hmm. and... Um, when I, again, uh, to what you said, like, when I think about which looks tend to be the ones that are the most, uh, lasting, mm-hmm. the Walter Simonson changes was one, one of those looks. Yeah. Um, like I, look, if we were to go through Thor's history and pick out some of his other looks, there's also his like nineties look. Oh yeah. You know, the one where he was basically wearing like a tank top sort of thing where you could see his midriff. Yeah, that was and weird. That was a weird looking look, but <laughs> you know, um, that the the Walter Simonson design was one that I yeah I guess it kind of highlighted the almost mythological aspect of Thor. You know, it really felt like a fantasy story. Yeah, you know, it, was, it felt like a cosmic fantasy. Yeah, which a is which fantasy, is how it exactly. should be. Yeah, I, th- I think 
um i remember when when uh the first thor movie came out people were kind of weirded out because it was supposed to be these north norse gods but it was also cosmic yeah and i think that i think for the average person who had who didn't have any familiarity with with thor's world uh, or kirby they didn't they're, know how to wrap their head around yeah it was it was bizarre <laughs> yeah. but when you when you look at uh walt simonson's and sal basima's artwork mm. in this whole run they're able to successfully meld all of those disparate uh, ideas Elements, together. Yeah. yeah, the fantasy, the science fiction, yeah. uh, the earth-based realism. Yeah. Oh, one of the things, uh, as you were flipping through it earlier, I, I saw this one page w- with an explosion where people were flying. He they, he draws really good explosions. <laughs> yeah. People flying. Yeah. It, it's just... Ooh, man, the yeah. artwork is something special. It's food for the eyes. We're just going to have to take some pictures of this and put it on on our Instagram so mm-hmm. everyone else can enjoy just looking at it. Yeah, yeah. Or they could just buy the omnibus. Or just buy the omnibus <laughs> or the individual paperbacks. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at some, and these are drawn by Sal Basima right now, but, yeah, um, towards the end, there was, I guess it's kind of the the climax of one of the larger story arcs mm-hmm. in Thor and just to highlight how epic or dramatic this story is like the the conclusion of it every page of it was a splash page a so one page splash a one page splash where so you didn't get panels every page was just one picture one massive picture so imagine reading that and just the intense artwork on 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 every single page every 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 picture taking up that full dimension yeah how crazy is that so moving on let's discuss the impact of walter simonson's thor Mm -hmm. um do you have anything to say in regards to uh, and like marvels this so this is an even older comic than marvels yeah so we have we definitely have more hindsight in terms of what the comics industry looked like following this this run mm-hmm. by Walter Simonson's mm-hmm. store. Um, what do you think was the impact of Walter Simonson's store? Um, I think it had a really massive impact on the concept of Thor moving forward because everybody else after him has basically been working in his shadow. That's true. I, th- I mean, I think it's even fair to say that his work on Thor is even more definitive and more impactful than the Stanley Jack Kirby stuff. Yeah, that's. I, I feel like in the modern era, all a lot of the stories that we have seen, um, you know, guys like Matt Fraction, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, um, even Jason Aaron. Like, uh, what about I, what about your boy Dan Jurgens? Even Dan Jurgens, um, or who, who was running? Who was doing the '90s version of Thor? Was that uh, DeFalco? DeFalco did a bunch of '90s yeah. Thor, I think. So even guys like DeFalco, like a lot of what they were doing seemed to be, I wouldn't say retreads, but they would take elements from Walter Simonson's Thor, elements that uh, Walter Simonson introduced, and they would expand on those mm-hmm. in in their runs. So it's it's hard to look at um, a modern Thor comic and not see those things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even, and I think it's fair to say, yeah. uh, obviously, because Walter Simonson didn't create Thor. Yeah. Uh, so he even he was inspired uh, by Jack Kirby. Like you never want to say that anything disrespectful about Jack Kirby, mm. but I think uh, just the fact that Walt Simonson's run on Thor is has become the most uh, well-known and popularized yeah. run. You can't, you can't deny the impact it had, and and the impact it had on all the Thor writers afterwards and yeah. artists, uh, but also just in general pop culture, especially recently yeah. with these past what is it eight years since we've had the first Thor movie, and now we've had a whole trilogy of Thor movies, yeah. as well as a couple Avengers movies where Thor plays a prominent role, mm. like his. Walter Simonson's work is clearly yeah. a big influence on all of those. Yeah. Like one of the um, stories that gets highlighted the most is, or is considered like it's, it. so his run is rife with 
like li- classic stories, but mm-hmm. so we have things like the frog, uh, the story of Thor, the frog, frog Thor, frog yeah. Thor. We have the story, the saga of Surtur. Yep. Um, we uh, he, he got the ba- the ballad of Beta Ray Bill. Exactly. He introduced Beta Ray Bill. Um, I don't know if Malekith as a character was yeah. someone who existed. Uh, prior to this run, uh, I, I don't remember if that character existed either. But Simonson's definitely the one who brought him back into prominence. Yeah, like when I think the of the casket Malikath, of ancient winners. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, this was stuff. Uh, again, elements of this were taken for the Thor movie. Yeah. So that casket of ancient winters is definitely something that we see. Um, yeah, it's it's it, Walter Simonson's take on Thor was just one that was just rich with material. And, uh, again, even moving forward, so currently right now we have Jason Aaron writing him, and, uh, again, he's... I, I haven't read the whole thing, but um, even just from viewing the covers, there's Curse, and mm-hmm. then there's, uh, there, there's an issue where Curse is on the cover, there's an issue where Thor is... Uh, right now, Malekith is a, is a big part of what's going on in Thor's universe, you know? So, again, it just ties into this... And the other uh, huge story element that Walter Simonson is responsible for that they go to a lot in comics or in Thor comics uh, of the modern era is the story of Scourge. Yeah, Scourge the Executioner. Yeah. They tried to do an adaptation of that in uh, Thor Ragnarok, the last movie. Yeah, exactly. So it always feels like that's something... Like, can you give a brief synopsis of that moment? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a great story, but it's basically... A moment that makes him so like yeah exactly if you don't know comics and you don't know who scourge is like he's not someone that gets used a lot or who's been used too much since i think but he was always just a thor uh rogue who and a thor enemy who was always um kind of a joke kind of a joke yeah not yeah. not someone that was that you would ever think to respect or fear yeah if you watched uh thor ragnarok they did a, an obvious homage uh, to that story arc, but I don't. I would. I enjoyed that movie a lot. I really liked it. It was fun. Uh, but I, I can't say that they did the Scourge sequence uh, full justice. So Scourge in the movie, he was the guy that was played by a uh, dude. What was that dude? The guy who played Judge Dredd, right? Yeah. Uh, he was in the Star Trek movies. I'll look him up. But anyway, uh, so I mean, basically, that's kind of if you've seen the movie, that's kind of what happens in the comic. But in the comic. There's a, a lot more build-up to it, so it, it, it actually feels much, much more meaningful. So, yeah, I just want to talk about it because it's one of my favorite sequences in Walt Simonson's Thor. Scourge, the executioner, is a guy who is always trying to one-up Thor, but he's obviously not powerful enough to... He ends up falling in love with the Enchantress. Mm. The Enchantress, who is another Asgardian, uh, she's got powers of magic who who and she's able to um basically kind of get men to fall she in love with her, her feminine wilds to like yeah you know enchant men exactly so scourge has kind of fallen for her yeah. um and it's never really clear whether it's because of her spell or b- because he's an idiot <laughs> <laughs> but the the point is is that he genuinely and sincerely uh loves her yeah and she's only using him because she wants to get at thor yeah so he's just a tool to her. And then there's a... So this this whole subplot kind of uh, builds up over the course of a bunch of issues. And then there's a storyline, a big storyline, where Thor uh, and the Asgardians and Baldur uh, and all those guys, they end up going to uh, Hela's realm. Mm. They, go to, they end up going to Hell. Um, and on their way out, they're trying to escape. Uh, basically, uh, Thor's... Thor says, I'm going to make a last stand here so you guys cross this bridge and hold them at the choke point yeah. and all of you guys can get all the souls that you rescued and, and save yourselves, get out of here and I'll hold yeah. them off at the bridge because they're not going to get past me. Uh, but it, it's one of those situations where it's a suicide mission. So not yeah. it's, they, they, they build it up so that not even someone as powerful as Thor is going to be able to survive yeah. that. If he if he this does is the that, hordes of hell. Yeah, he's going to get trapped in Hela's realm. Yeah, exactly. So, so what ends up happening is at this point, Baldur he he's with the rest of the Asgardians, and he kind of 
has to be with them because he's got nowhere else to be and he's he wants yeah. to he wants to get away too plus he's also kind of i think they they've at this point they've already established that he's in line to be the next ruler of asgard so you know they they value him clearly thor oh, yeah. or wait uh Skurge? balder oh balder yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, so they're trying to make sure that Balder and survives and um, yeah. Thor survives. So Scourge and, yeah. ends up. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because Thor basically tells Balder, you know, you need to get back to to Asgard and and you know remain safe and take all these others with you, and I'll hold them off. And while Thor is giving this kind of s- little speech to him, uh, Scourge. Just straight up walks up behind Thor and cold clocks him in the back of the head, <laughs> knocking him unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then everybody's just shocked and they're like, yeah. Scourge, he, the executioner, he has felled Thor. Yeah. It's some trick of the traitor. We got to slay him, you know? <laughs> um, and then Baldur's about to mess up Scourge. But then uh, Scourge says, Baldur, hear me out. And... Balder says, "Speak," and I'm just gonna read it uh, from the from the page now because this yeah. is just some really good writing. Yeah. So, Balder says, "Speak," and Scourge replies, "They made a fool of me, Balder. They laughed at me. Everybody laughs at Scourge. Hela, Mordana, even the Enchantress I love. They all laugh at me, except you. Balder is too kind to laugh at Scourge. But whenever they laugh, I hurt inside." Maybe I die a little. Now I think I am already dead. And my axe was destroyed with Nagalfar. So I will stay behind and the last laugh will be mine. You and Thor have a drink when you are next in Asgard and laugh Scourge's last laugh together. I will hold the bridge. <laughs> and it's just this like great moment where <laughs> he's like ready to lay down his life for all these guys because... Everybody else laughs at him except yeah. for Balder. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 powerful stuff because, like you said, this guy, up to this point, the buildup has just been he's a fool and a joke. Yeah, and he, this is his final moment. Even in his like, in his defeat, it's it's a noble defeat. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he's he's ready to lay down his life for somebody that he respects. Yeah, and the and it's. It just kind of feels like the main reason why he he has respect for Balder is because Balder doesn't treat him like a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the the other funny thing about this whole sequence is is that this comes right like during the storyline. Uh, basically, the Asgardians had been trapped on Earth for a small period of time. Yeah. And while they were on Earth, they encountered they were I forget who they were fighting, but they encountered uh like uh, the U.S. military and the U.S. military basically showed the Asgardians modern weaponry. Yeah. So. So they gave them some modern weapons. So now you got Asgardians, you know, they've got their axes and spears and swords yeah, and broadswords yeah. and things like that. But now they also have M16s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Scourge is on this bridge holding off the hordes of hell with M16s. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's just a really cool scene where uh, he's he's holding off the hordes of hell, blowing them away with his assault rifles. And you see the artwork. He's just mowing them down. At the end, of, towards the end, uh, he has to hold him off. He's got two M16s, and he's holding him off. Uh, he starts re- having to reload, and eventually he runs out of ammo, so he just starts using the M16s as clubs and just yeah. beating on them. It's probably the most iconic image of him. Yeah. And one that they... So, like, if your iconic image of Batman is, like, someone grabbing at Martha, Martha Wayne's pearls and, you know breaking that necklace and seeing the pearls on the floor like this is his image like if scourge is to be known for anything it's that last moment where like yeah. there's just a horde of zombies or demons or whatever you call them like clawing at him and he's just mm-hmm. holding them like again using this m16 as a club and just beating them back yeah it's a, it's a scene that gets uh referred to uh numerous times and yeah. even in, in the Thor- movie- yeah in, in in the movies and in comics yeah uh that last page where you see Scourge kind of in his iconic pose beating on the, on the forces of hell, there's some really good dialogue, or not dialogue, but some really good narrative captions. Yeah. And I just want to read that too. It says, They sing no songs in hell, nor do they celebrate heroes. 
for silence is that dismal realm and cheerless. But the story of the Gjallarbrú and the god who defended it is whispered across the nine worlds, and when a new arrival asks about the one to whom even Hela bows her head, the answer is always the same. He stood alone at Gjallarbrú, and that is answer enough. So that that was that was the scene. That was the scene. And Gjallarbrú is the name of the bridge that he held. Yeah. Um, and it's just an iconic moment, man. And I I knew when they when they had a uh, scourge in Thor Ragnarok that they were gonna do that moment. Yeah, yeah. But the the thing that was missing was the build up, you know. Yeah. They're, they weren't able to really make you feel for the character in that short a time. Like, yeah. I think in the movie, it, they made it seem like he, he wanted to be, like, the top dog, and that's why he kind of allowed himself to yeah. be subservient to Hela. But I just like how in the comic, it was basically his pathetically failed doomed attempts at romance that kind of brought him to this yeah, yeah, low yeah. point. Yeah, from what I remember in the movie, a lot of it was... I mean, they still kind of played the idea of him as a joke... Or as someone who wasn't respected, wasn't respected, somebody that people laughed at. Yeah, and you know that final moment when people are getting on the spaceship to like go off. Yeah, he, in that final moment, he he gets on the ship and he's contemplating hiding out like with all the women and children. Yeah. <laughs> but then uh, in in the last second, he decides, you know, I'm gonna he he, he has step, to do the right he steps thing. Up. Yeah, he yeah. steps up. He does the right thing and he kind of goes for it. But you're right; it cuts out a lot of the humiliation that he has to go through yeah and that that walter simonson built up in the comic yeah so as a result in the comic his his final sacrifice it feels truly heroic it feels like it's truly been earned and you actually you really do feel something for the character yeah and from what i remember i think in the following issues there's even enchantress feels bad for him yeah she she regrets that she you know mistreated him mistreated him and took him for granted when he was around Mm -hmm. you know so it's 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 a pretty moving uh arc yeah there's even a scene in an issue after that later on where thor and balder end up having that drink on his behalf too oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) i remember that's nice man um what were some other moments that really stood out to you uh there's a lot of really like oh <laughs> so there's this one moment when they were fighting in when they were fighting Surtur and we have to remember that at this point the armies of Asgard have thrown themselves at um at Surtur's horde mm-hmm. I guess and all that's left is Surtur and he's he's a giant and he's got this giant flaming sword and he's laying waste to Asgard. And it's a moment where uh, you have Odin, the most powerful of all the Asgardians, along with Thor. And they're forced to team up with Loki, who, you know, although he's an Asgardian, he's also a constant thorn in Odin and Thor's side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's, it's a moment where they have to put aside their differences and work together to for the greater good of defeating um this this even greater threat but even in that final battle there there's a a scene or or there's their dialogue pretty much sums up kind of the quintessential aspects of their nature perfectly you know Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna read it here but it says so odin is up there and he's saying but how better for a god to die surter of muspil muspilheim than facing fearful odds and when better to die than with a man's sons bus- beside him? For Asgard! And Thor shouts, For Midgard! Which is um, what he calls Earth. And then Loki goes, For myself! <laughs> <laughs> it's so perfect. Yeah, it, it's just... It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> that's something that they never homaged in the movies, right? I don't think so. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have any other uh, scenes that uh, you wanted to? Um, I don't know if there, there's these are scenes specifically, but yeah, one one character that I really loved uh, was Beta Ray Bill. Yeah. He's introduced in the very first issue of the run. Actually, the cover that he appears in that of that issue, it's it's a really iconic cover too, because yeah. you see Beta Ray Bill uh, basically smashing the logo. <laughs> 
on the cover. Yeah, yeah. And it's very it's a very fitting cover because it's symbolic of how Simonson was basically gonna, you know, bring upheaval to the t- to the entire series. Mm. Uh, so for those of you guys who may not know who Beta Ray Bill is, he's an alien uh, who kind of looks like a cyborg horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how else to describe he's, him. He's got like a horse face. He's got the muzzle of a horse. Yeah. And but no lips, so you can see all his teeth. Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's this alien dude who uh journeys through space as the protector of his people who are I forget why they're traveling, but they're I think they might be looking for a new homeworld or or something. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what they're doing. So he's yeah, he's essentially their protector as they're fleeing. Um, it's some sort of dark force that's yeah been chasing them throughout the galaxy. Yeah, so basically, uh, so all of his people are they're in hibernation chambers or cryostasis or something yeah. of that to that nature, something of that nature. And Beta Ray Bill, his ship uh, ends up coming across uh, it's Asgard, right? They, mm. He comes somehow enters uh, that part of space and um he th- he and thor uh come they to blows battle. they yeah. they en- they think uh they're enemies and and during the course of the battle uh thor i think he throws mjolnir and then beta ray bill ends up picking it up yeah so just the fact that he was able to pick it up that was something that i don't think had really ever been done in yeah. a thor comic before because because of the enchantment of the yeah that's yeah. kind of the whole rule of mjolnir where whoever be worthy of the hammer he would possess the power of thor yeah but beta ray bill picks it up and then he had the power of thor yeah yeah and after that um they they stopped battling and discovered okay if he's able to pick up the hammer he can't be a bad person yeah. he's, he's a good he's, dude yeah he's noble there's something heroic about him that makes him worthy yeah so he and thor end up having a contest where they they do uh an honorable battle to determine who's going to possess Mjolnir. Yeah. And I don't really know why Odin made him do that because eventually Odin <laughs> ended up Odin ended up having uh, the dwarves build uh, Beta Ray build his own hammer, his own special hammer. Yeah, yeah, Stormbreaker. Yeah. So if you remember uh, Avengers: Infinity War, yeah, they have the name of Thor's new hammer, Stormbreaker. Yeah. But that's which Beta Ray Bill's. Which is another like shout out to Simonson. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely Beta Ray Bill is a character. I've always been a big fan of him just because of yeah. his his design. His it's a really unique design. I mean, he just looks like Thor, except he's got that horse face. Horse face, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's a cool character. I, yeah. I like him a lot. They should definitely uh, do some more stuff with him. Yeah. And it, again, he's another character where it feels like every time um, someone takes on uh thor uh whenever there's a new writer on thor he's another element that they kind of come back to yeah even if it's for a little while they they always kind of bring him back they got to yeah Hmm. okay uh do you have anything to say about the originality of this run yeah this this run even though it's based on a pre-existing uh ongoing series yeah i think uh it's fair to say that Simonson injected a lot of his own uh, ideas and creativity into it. Yeah. He did take things that Kirby and Stan Lee had created, uh, and maybe they didn't really use them a whole bunch, like Surtur, for example. Yeah. I don't think... I think Surtur had appeared in... in a Previous comics. Previously Kirby comics. Yeah. But I don't think they ever really did anything this magnificent or this epic with him yeah they didn't put him on that level (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then you know going back to uh scourge for example i don't think scourge ever really had any uh memorable stories before this yeah i can't say that um it always felt like the main villains that you remembered from thor were loki like it just felt like everything revolved around loki and maybe occasionally enchantress Uh um i don't know if hila ever got was was a uh, Stanley Jack Kirby creation? I think she was. I mean that yeah. that helmet design has to be Kirby, right? Yeah, I I, I guess. The the other thing that I remember like <laughs> the, from their run was that first Thor story where he fights those rock aliens. Oh yeah, that's that's probably the most <laughs> prominent thing that I can remember from well, that run. What about Ulick <laughs> or the Destroyer armor? Ulick's cool. Yeah, I, I will say Ulick and the Destroyer are pretty dope. 
Yeah. So I mean, those are there, Stanley and Kirby. Point. Good point. Uh, but I think the way that Simonson was able to sort of weave together all the elements of Thor's uh, established world mm. that that in and of itself is a pretty daunting task. Yeah. Because like like we said, he started on issue three thirty seven, so. There had been over 300 comics already in yeah, existence yeah, yeah. that had Thor, and uh, Simonson was able to take all of those existing elements, kind of choose the the best of them, yeah. and inject his own characters and ideas into them. I mean, Beta Ray yeah. Bill, man, he he gave us Beta Ray Bill. Yeah, uh, he did a story where, like you said, every page was a full page splash page. Yeah, and it was a fight yeah. <laughs> between Thor and the World Serpent. It's, I, I feel like if there's a theme for today, it's like taking these ideas and um, the ideas of pre-existing history and continuity mm-hmm. and streamlining, streamlining it and retelling it with your own flourishes so that it's the best possible version of whatever the histories are that exist yeah. for those stories. And I do think uh, Simonson like, did a great job with that. He excelled at that, you know, and it's, it's something that we still see to this day in the sense that every again every iteration of comics whenever a new writer comes on a lot of the times every time a new batman writer comes on we don't see we don't always see like a new slew of villains or anything like that Mm -hmm. they're always going to tell their joker story or they want to tell their two-faced story or you know um they're they 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 basically want to play with the toys that they're allowed to play with in that toy box and it's limited to whatever you know couple of dozen characters that they have access to yeah and that's that's basically what walter simonson did here and he did it in a in a way that was streamlined and comprehensive and just fun to read and fun to follow you know yeah he made it his his own and Again, like you could tell that his run was had left such an impact that moving forward, future writers would take elements from his work, his body of work, his mm-hmm. run on Thor, and that's that's what you see. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I like is his entire run uh, functions as a cohesive work. Like, if do you ever enjoy reading uh, like long works of fiction whether it's like a series of books or i don't know like like a fantasy series or a trilogy of books or something like that and that's that's kind of what his work feels like on thor where there's distinct uh distinct story arcs but there's also uh a way to read the story from beginning to end as one gigantic piece of work and it's satisfying. It has yeah. a satisfying conclusion. It, it ends. If yeah. this is the only Thor comic that you ever read, you're not going to be left wanting. Yeah. It, I mean, there's no other way to describe it except it's Walter Simonson's epic on Thor. Yeah. That's what it is. You yeah. Know? It's, it's the journey of Thor from, you know, hero to king to beyond. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that is his story. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I uh I do moving from that, I think we can go on to the topic of this uh of Walter Simonson's Thor and what we think of its ability to withstand the test of time. Mhm. Um I'm just going to put it out there, but oddly enough because of the old old style prose of it, um you know, Thor talks in a very specific way relative to all other marvel characters yeah like his world has a uh, has a speech style that's unique unto itself you know iron man and captain america kind of talk like normal people do whereas thor speaks with uh gravitas and with uh it's kind of it's kind of a faux shakespearean kind of style that stan lee sort of made up yeah but that's the funny thing about it is that it fits. It, it fits, fits the character. It fits the world. And it makes it timeless. Is yeah. the thing you know because you know it's not like Dark Knight Returns where you got someone who goes slice and dice or <laughs> uh, Billy Bananas or <laughs> Billy Berserk. Billy, Bers- Billy Berserk. You know, um, 
you know, or it's not like Ninja Turtles or something where it's like tubular <laughs> or radical or something like that. Like, uh, the old style of uh, speech pattern makes it so that you can pick this up and read it at any time and you can kind of accept it for you get you accept it for what it is. You know, a, a fantasy story. Cowabunga. Cowa Shanka Donka. <laughs> Shanka Donka Bunga. <laughs> The other thing is that the art is makes it a timeless story too because this art looks fresh. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the omnibus and I think probably also the current printings of it, they sort of remastered the artwork, mm. uh, particularly the the coloring. Um, I don't know if you're a purist about these things or not. Like when people take older comics and remaster the coloring, sometimes it can look kind of weird. Yeah. Because old school, uh, or older looking pencils and inks don't always mesh well with modern day computer coloring. Yeah. But this actually looks really sharp. It yeah. looks really good. I think... It's super clean. It's Yeah, it's super clean. It's it's moody. Uh, but it also... It's also not uh, garish. Yeah. It doesn't look like things are colored for... Things aren't random purposes. bright. Yeah. You know, and like the colors, they pop. But yeah. not not to the point where it hurts to look at it. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And, of course, that's to say nothing about the uh, actual pencils and inks. Yeah. Uh, because the, the drawing itself is just really good artwork. Yeah. Um, I mean, it still looks better than a lot of comics you'll look at today, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Walter Simonson is definitely a master in his own class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's... it's uh, it's hard to deny that his his art style like sort of transcends being dated. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I I can pick this up at any point and I would still think it's a good looking comic. And there aren't flourishes to it where I go, oh my go- goodness, <sighs> like they're doing that thing that they used to do in the '90s or that thing that they used to do in the '70s or whatever. Yeah, and, like you know, it doesn't make me roll my eyes. Yeah. Know? The other thing is his ideas kind of, those not kind of his ideas transcend time yeah, as well. They do, um, because you see it now in the movies and people always yeah. trying to basically not rip him off, but um, either homage, yeah, pay homage or in, like do their version of it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Taking taking a lot of elements from elements and ideas of his stories, putting them into their stories their movies Mm. uh not that i look at movies as a validation of comics because i don't Uh, (laughs) but i think it just goes to show that even the people who make these movies assuming i'm assuming that they actually have some affection for comics yeah uh and the people who made the thor movies in particular probably had to do some research yeah so it just goes to show you that even people who who are writers screenwriters for movies when they were doing their their due diligence they, they saw s- something in Walt Simonson's store that yeah. stood out and they knew that it was worth uh pulling from yeah like you kind of have to pull from the best if you're just gonna yeah yeah absolutely. If, yeah you're gonna do like a greatest yeah. hits kind of thing you know you got to pick the greatest hits yeah you're not gonna look for some random uh you know eight page backup story that Tom DeFalco did yeah Unless are, you're really a big Tom DeFalco stan. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you really going to go and do a Thor movie and then be like, his greatest villain is Zarko, the Tomorrow Man? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, if someone did that story, if they could make it fun, I wouldn't hate on it. Yeah. But, uh, but if, if you're making... That's a, not the first thing yeah, it's, 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 I think of. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not the first thing you think of. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I would happen to agree. This, the, the, like, although this might be an older comic, it's something that I think as a reader mm-hmm. you can give to someone who hasn't read comics or even a kid, and it's something that they could enjoy. Uh, and I think it would be the Thor story that they could sort of establish as the quintessential Thor story. In yeah, way. it's it is the quintessential Thor story. Yeah. Here's a, here's another question though, and and maybe I think you're probably more qualified to answer that than I am because you've read it a little bit more recently than I did. But do you remember 
if uh, because this being an 80s comic, do you remember if if uh, they did that thing often where the first page of the issue would often have a recap or a summary of what was going on before? I don't know, what do you mean, like a dialogue box? Or, like, did they integrate it into the... Just some sort of exposition? Uh, I feel like they integrated it into the dialogue, but it Mm -hmm. was seamless enough where I wasn't like, oh, there it is again, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I have to... In a book that has, you know, 50... Or, like, in a book that has... Not 50, but, like, let's say, you know, for example, if there were, like, 50 issues in this book... Mm -hmm. If I had to read that exposition every time, exp- you know, have one character explain just out of the blue, like, oh, yeah, this happened last time and <laughs> we're doing this to like and like if they're constantly just recapping the story that that gets boring and that gets tedious and you get tired of reading that you know Mm -hmm. so um again this is a credit to walter simonson's craft and his ability to tell his story without me noticing or without it being like a blaring horn in my face yeah oh yeah this happened in the last issue you know yeah this is what we've been doing up to this point because i yeah because i think that that sort of constant recapping at the beginning of every issue that was sort of a big thing back in that era of comics yeah. and back in the 80s because the the idea was you never knew if that comic would be somebody's first issue or somebody's first comic yeah. ever so you wanted to make sure that they weren't confused yeah but it's not natural to have people constant like again if you're reading it all together as opposed to one issue at a time um that's not how people talk or there is a yeah. need for constant uh, reminders of, yeah, we were just doing this, or why are we doing this? Like, a lot of the times, if you're good enough, you can allow the context of the story to tell you what you need to know. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're a competent reader, you should be able to pick it up from context. Yeah, exactly. And if you're not, there's a lot of Spawn comics for you. <laughs> <laughs> you can enjoy those. <laughs> And I hope you like the paste you're eating. <laughs> <laughs> that was a savage, uncalled-for attack on fans of Spawn everywhere. But was it an uncalled-for attack on Todd McFarlane? Uh, well, you didn't get personal with them. <laughs> you didn't insult him directly. You kind of denigrated his storytelling and writing abilities, but you didn't... He didn't say that... Even the implication that his fans like to eat paste. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that only people that eat paste could enjoy his comics. I, th- I think that's more of an insult against his fans than against him directly. Because mm. for, for all we know, he may be calculatingly creating paste for other people to consume. Wow. That's a lot of credit to give him. I'm not saying that's actually the case. I'm just saying it's possible. You're, like, you're saying I, it could be interpreted as it, such. It's, it's possible, yes. Uh, well, to be fair, I've got love for all sorts of comic fans. Well, most. <laughs> Do you like comic fans who put their butt in your face while you're digging through a long box? I don't. I don't. And I'm not a huge fan of mouth breathers either, but... Yeah. It, Oh, just for our listeners, that I was I just brought that story up because we were at a at a show once. Uh, it was kind of like a poor man's convention. I, yeah. I think it was the Berkeley Comic Con actually. Was. It was. And uh, we were at a table digging through some long boxes, and underneath the table there were some more boxes. Albert was digging through uh, some of the boxes on the ground, <laughs> and some guy who was looking at uh, the comics on the table, he actually put his butt on Albert's face <laughs> while Albert was kneeling on the it ground. It wasn't actually on my face. It was like a couple of inches away, but it was enough for me to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so I'm guessing those are the kind of comic fans you don't like. <laughs> no, I can't say that I do. I, I can't <laughs> say that I have a lot of affection for people who are so involved in comics. Although I will say that there's, there's something admirable about that level of involvement, but um, you shouldn't be so... That is to say, you should, still shouldn't be so involved that the rest of the world doesn't matter to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so is that our review of numbers 
eight and seven. Yep, that was a. Uh... Marvels by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross coming in at number eight. And Thor by Walter Simonson and Sal Buscema coming in at number seven. Do you have any other closing thoughts? Uh, you know, all I really have are thoughts. I, I lose myself in my thoughts every day of my life uh, because I have no one to talk to. This podcast is like an outlet for me to vocalize the things that I think about, which is pretty much comics and nothing else. Um, so what do you want to hear about? Oh, was that a rhetorical question? That was pretty rhetorical. Oh, okay. Then I have nothing. I have nothing else to think about. I have nothing to think about. Okay. I have no thoughts whatsoever on any subject, any topic. No opinions whatsoever. No opinions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this whole show, uh, we were not spouting off any opinions. We were just going off based on the facts uh, dictated to us by the two hundred professionals. professionals and scholars yeah. and academics and mystics that have dedicated their uh, adult lives to scientifically and mystically studying uh <laughs> the comics <laughs> yeah we are just uh mouthpieces for them because yep. they're busy reviewing all the dc comics in existence right now exactly so you know get ready for that list yep so no i don't have any more thoughts <laughs> what about you albert do you have any thoughts this is albert lamb with the quiet storm for all of you beautiful people out there in radio land who listen to us i just want you to know that you are loved I will be loving on you. Until the next time. <laughs> Take care of yourselves and each other. Shanka Donka. <laughs>